0: Welcome to experience this
1: where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience great stories of customer service and tips on how to make
0: your customers love you even more always upbeat and definitely entertaining. Customer retention expert, Joey Coleman, and social media expert,
1: Dan Gingis serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to
2: experience
1: this. Get ready for another episode of the
0: Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss fruits and vegetables that may not look pretty, but still taste yummy. The coming of a marketing rebellion led by, who else, the consumer, and an NBA basketball star who made a little girl's dream come true.
1: Vegetables, rebellions, and sneakers. Oh my. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us
0: while we're dissecting the experience. So I am so excited to talk about a company that I have been doing business with for the last year. And it is called Imperfect Produce. Now, this is actually unique in that it is the one and only thing that I have bought solely based off a Facebook ad.
1: Ooh. Yep. Good friend, you were roped in by a Facebook ad.
0: I was.
1: No knows how these things work. I am intrigued.
0: Yes. So it showed up in my feed and I was interested. in And basically what it is, is it is a box that you can order either every week or every other week. And it is filled with fruits and vegetables that are deemed to be imperfect. And imperfect can mean something as simple as surplus, but it also sometimes means ugly. And it's kind of funny. And I love talking about this with my kids because... (laughs) You know, we aren't even an
3: ugly vegetable
0: gets a friend, right? Exactly. We're accustomed to eating perfect fruits and vegetables that we buy at the store. You know, all the apples look beautiful and shined, and all the oranges are perfectly round, and you know, they're never too small or too big or what have you. And as it turns out, as I learned more about this company, this is actually a really big, significant problem in the US. So before we get to that, I I had the pleasure of chatting with Riley Brock, who is the content manager at Imperfect Produce. And he described the service probably better than I ever could. So why don't we listen to him now?
3: Yeah. Imperfect Produce is a subscription box delivery service, and we deliver boxes of awesome produce right to your door. What makes the produce special is it's ugly and surplus produce that often would have gone to waste uh, otherwise in our food system. So we're sourcing produce straight from farms and bringing it right to your door. You get to pick what goes in it every week. You get to pick the produce each week. You get to choose from a wide range of sizes. You get to pick between organic produce and conventional produce. You can do fruit veggies or both. We really like to keep it open-ended and fun and customizable. And our goal here is really to do two things. You know, one, empower folks at home to cook more and eat healthier and have more fun in the kitchen. And the other one is to really take a big bite out of food waste in this country and kind of rethink beauty standards in the produce industry. So here's what I
0: love about this service. The first is I get to pick exactly what I want. Now, this is big. I used to be part of a farm share where uh, I got a box of uh, fruits and vegetables every week, but I got whatever came off of the farm. And so you open your box someday and you have 14 rutabagas and you're like, "Ah, what the heck do I even do with a (laughs) rutabaga, right? Can you spell rutabaga, folks? No, it's a word you can just say. Exactly. So I get to pick what I want. Every week, I get to go onto their website and decide the fruits and vegetables, or sometimes they have herbs or other things that I want. And so if you like squash, hey, they got three different kinds of squash this week. And if you don't like squash, you don't have to have any squash at all. If you only want fruit, you can pick that. If you only want veggies, whatever. So I find that really, really fun. And I also get the exact quantity that I need. So there's couple different sizes of boxes. I get the smallest one, and it's actually perfect for me. Most of it, I find, is that excess fruit or the surplus fruit and vegetables versus the ugly stuff. But sometimes you do get some kind of comically shaped uh, fruits and vegetables. We'll include some pictures in the show notes at experiencethisshow.com, episode 57. It's also actually less expensive than the produce that I'm buying at the supermarket. So now when I go grocery shopping, I basically skip the produce section because I've already gotten my produce for the week. And it has also caused me to cook more healthy items for both me and the kids uh, because I've got all of these fruits and vegetables. And then when you have them, you got to use them. And so I plan recipes around it, etc. cetera. And then you and I have talked about this. We actually made mention of it in the last episode. It's also really important to me that it's helping the environment. And one of the things that they do that is so cool is they actually track the amount of waste that I have personally saved. And so, again, we'll include a screenshot in the show notes. But I want to tell you that as of this recording, I have saved Three hundred and twenty-three pounds of produce that would have gone to a landfill or just kind of died in the ground versus being eaten. I've also saved almost thirteen thousand gallons of water and taken one thousand one hundred and one pounds of carbon dioxide out of the air. Three
1: hundred and twenty-three pounds of produce—that's a lot of rutabaga, folks. You know, here's the thing, Dan. Anybody who listens to the show and people know me well, I aspire to be a fruits and veggies kind of guy. I aspire to be a healthier eater. I'm just not. But I got to admit, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by this because you're absolutely right. It takes a a problem and and a fairly significant environmental problem that most people have little to no awareness about And it says, not only are we going to solve that problem, but we're going to do it cheaper than going to the store. And there's nothing wrong with these fruits and vegetables, I presume. They just don't look as pretty as the ones in the store because there are standards on how things look when people are going around shopping. But the piece that really impressed me, and I don't know that I've seen another brand that has done this or done it as effectively, it sounds like, as the folks at Imperfect Produce are doing, is personally tracking Your environmental impact, right? I've seen plenty of boxes that say, oh, in the last year, we've diverted X amounts of things from the landfill or we've saved Y pounds of CO2. But tacking it to your personal behavior almost creates an environmental scorecard for you, which I'm left wondering have you? found yourself almost wanting to increase. You've been doing this for about a year. Are you kind of like thinking, oh, this year I want to divert even more pounds of produce away or save even more water than I did in the past, right? Are you almost gamifying yourself?
0: Well, it's a good question. And to answer your earlier question, the fruits and vegetables all taste great. And so, you know, you might get, for example, uh, an avocado that's got uh, some scarring on the outside skin, but you don't eat the skin of an avocado. So you open it up and it looks like a beautiful avocado inside, right? So that kind of stuff, you just sort of learn to overlook it. In terms of the environmental impact, it's not the core reason I do it, but I think it's an awesome sort of validation of doing it. So, I'm doing it because I really enjoy the fruits and vegetables, because they're less expensive, and because it kind of forces me to use them. Once you know, you said you're trying to eat more fruits and vegetables. When they're sitting out on the counter or you open the fridge, and I now have what I called to the kids, I, I told the kids is the it's the healthy snack section of the refrigerator, which is like it it's always got fresh fruit that I've gotten from the box. And so that's really the core thing for me. But I do love tracking it. And in fact, they help you, they remind you when you hit certain milestones. So for example, when I had hit 75 pounds of produce. They put a little card in the box and they gave me some extra fruit that day in my box. And then when I hit uh, 200, they actually sent me some tattoos of different fruits and vegetables that were really cute for the kids. So they do help you gamify that. And I think it's kind of a cool part of the experience. Now, the history of this company is really pretty interesting. It started with two college kids noticing a lot of wasted food in their cafeteria. And they soon learned that, as we mentioned, there are tons of perfectly good food being wasted before it even left the farm, alone getting to a college cafeteria. So here's Riley again to describe the problem that they identified and how they went about solving it.
3: It was just going to waste on farms. And a large reason was because of these very narrow cosmetic specifications that stores have. You know, things have to be a uniform size. They have to be free of blemishes and scarring. And they have to be perfectly symmetrical. And the result is that a lot of stuff is just getting excluded from the marketplace and often gets left in the field. So they set out to solve this problem. And and address a couple of different inefficiencies with the food system. You know, one is that farmers are not able to sell a sizable chunk of what they grow, you know, five to 30% of a crop in a given year might have to stay in the field or might be unmarketable, or you might have to sell it at a loss to a processor, just because of how it looks, which is pretty ridiculous. And on the other level, there's the environmental cost of all this that we're cultivating a ton of land and using a lot of water to grow food that ironically, no one ends up eating. So and that's kind of how Imperfect came to be. I got
1: to say, Dan, I grew up in a farming community in northwestern Iowa. My family has a long tradition of farming. We've been farmers and my, uh, my grandparents and great-grandparents and uh, my brothers now are farmers. And so this idea of being able to do good for farmers, in addition to doing well for the planet, is really special. And really got my attention personally, you know, kind of hearing Riley describe that. I think what is fascinating about this is so many brands are trying to connect to a story and create a story for their brand. And I feel like there are multiple stories at play here, right? There's the story of the farmers. There's the story of the environmental impact. There's the story of your own health. There's the story of what's happening in the grocery store. And so the layering of stories and reasons and rationales for why it's a good idea to be a customer, I'll admit and I'll confess here on the air, I'm. Sold. I'm in. I want to go get a box and check this out.
0: Well, fantastic, Joey, because I get you $10 off your first box. Oh, Woo! I like it. With a special We're code. Right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I'm on, that I'm also going to share with all of our listeners on the com episode 57. And I think you'll like it. I think it is a ton of fun. I look forward to opening that box every week. And you're right, it does have an impact on sort of the entire vertical of the industry, which I think is really kind of cool. And I hope to see more companies try to do good while also making money. And I think those are the types of companies that are going to gain customer loyalty at a more rapid pace. Because this is a company that I want to support. And I feel good doing so. I think that's kind of the takeaway for me is that at the end of the day, I feel good working with the company that I know is doing good for me as well. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share
1: some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report.
0: For today's book report... We are going to turn to Mark Schaefer, who just released a book called Marketing Rebellion. And Mark is a frequent speaker at Social Media Marketing World. And actually, Joey is going to be taking the slot that you had 2 years ago and is going to be the closing keynote this year. In Ooh, Very uh, nice. Yes. And so... Mark's a great guy and uh, super smart and has uh, written a whole bunch of books. But this is a brand new one. And we're going to go straight to his description of the book because I think he did such a good job with it. I'm not going to try to ruin it by putting my own spin on it. So here, without further ado, is Mark Schaefer.
2: Marketing Rebellion is my seventh book. And I've never had a plan to write a book. I I read a book when I see a problem that I don't understand, and I become obsessed trying to figure it out. And when I eventually figure it out, that turns into a book that can help people. And this time, the problem that I saw is that people all around the world, big companies, small companies, universities, nonprofits, startups, were all telling me the same thing. They were telling me they felt stuck, that they were Falling behind, that they were overwhelmed, that their marketing wasn't working like it used to. And it just became such a powerful message. I became curious to see what was going on. And my original hypothesis was that technology was changing so fast, people were falling behind. And certainly that's part of it. But the more profound revelation is that. Yes, technology has sort of moved ahead of us, but our customers have moved ahead of us in a pretty profound and significant way. In fact, when I really started getting into the research, it made me question what it means to be a marketer today. Two-thirds of our marketing today is occurring without us. The customers are the marketers. They're carrying the message forward. And that's a key idea behind this book, that two-thirds of our marketing is not our marketing. How do we get invited to that two-thirds? Is it possible to make that actionable? Is there something that we can do? Because that part of the world where consumers talk to each other and carry our products forward, it's just going to be growing. We really don't have a choice but to understand what's going on and what we can do about it. And that's what I provide through the book.
1: What I thought was interesting about that description, Dan, and about the book is this idea that two thirds of marketing
0: is occurring without us, right? Wasn't that interesting to you? Yeah, I mean that's crazy, right? I mean, we think as marketers that we're controlling the message, but what <laughs> right. happened is, we've got, this. we've got this. We're not doing we're that gonna, anymore with our message.
1: Uh, yeah, you're not in charge anymore, kids. Hey, yeah, tell
0: you. and I will tell you uh, whether you like it or not, Mister Coleman. The reason for that. Is social, media.
1: social media, ladies and gentlemen. I will give you that social media plays a significant role in that, but I also think a part of it is the shifting behavior of the consumer and the magnification of voice. Now, a lot of that happens on social media, but it also happens with podcasts and with blogs and with other ways that people are kind of putting their own spin on things, where before it was just having a conversation at the cocktail party or at the water cooler. Now you can kind of broadcast to a much bigger audience based on the technology in a lot easier fashion.
0: Absolutely. And don't forget ratings and reviews as well. So there's just more places for customers to express their opinions and to share how they like or dislike or use a particular company's products, etc. So I think this is absolutely true. And it's probably continuing to go up. And to me, the key question is, what can we do about it? What can companies do to affect what people are saying? And I think one of the things they can do is what we talk about all the time on this show, which is create remarkable experiences, because people want to talk about remarkable experiences. A lot of times when you say social media and experience, people think that it's only complaints. But the reality is, is that people like to share on both ends of the spectrum. It's just that we don't have as many remarkable experiences as we have crappy ones. As companies continue to shift that ratio, I think that there is an opportunity to change the sentiment of how people talk about your brand and, and to really create this army of marketers as Mark talks about. I agree with you. And what I also loved about Mark's hypothesis,
1: right, that technology was changing so fast that people were falling behind. But then, yes, our customers had moved ahead of us as well. It never ceases to amaze me how many brands are operating in the past. I had an experience this weekend. I was walking along a street. I saw a retail home goods establishment that was kind of, you know, very kind of like high-end interior design store type thing. And on the door, like etched into the glass, not a sign they had stuck in, but this was like part of the same branding, if you will, as their hours. It said, no photos. I turned to my wife, Barrett, and I said, how insane is it that a company that is selling looks for a home, right? Views of a home, images of what a home should look like or be like, doesn't want me as a visitor to their store to take a picture and post it to social media, or even take a picture to take home to remind me that I want to go back to that store to buy something. It blew my mind.
0: Yeah, they're probably not going to like the technology that's already here in virtual reality that allows you to take a picture of your own room with that piece of furniture (laughs) in it before you even buy it. They're going to probably hate that. Yeah. So anyway, one of the things we like to do on the show just to be different from other shows is to also have authors share with us their favorite passage from their own book. And so we asked Mark Schaefer to please share his favorite passage. And this is what he said.
2: One of my favorite parts of the book occurs right in the middle of the book. I sort of put the book on pause and summarize some of the main takeaways of the book up until that point. I call it a manifesto for human-centered marketing. And uh, it's 10 points. And I thought I would talk about those 10 points. And that might be something that would be interesting for you to discuss. Number one. Stop doing what customers hate. Get out there and discover what customers love. Go do that, at least. Two, technology should be invisible to your customer and only used to help your company be more compassionate, receptive, fascinating, and useful. Three, you can't own customers, a buyer's journey, or a sales funnel. Claim a market space and help people belong to it. Four, never intercept, never interrupt. Earn the invitation. Five, be relevant, consistent, and superior. Build trust into everything you do. Six, be fans of your fans. Make them the heroes of your story. Seven, transcend the public's inherent mistrust of your company through relentless honesty. Eight, don't be in the customer community. Be of the customer community. Nine, marketing is no longer about your why. It's about your customer's why. Ten, the most human company
0: wins. Now, normally, Joey and I would share our favorite passages from the book, and we do have many of them. But what we actually thought we'd do instead is do what Mark suggested, which is to discuss some of the 10 points that he shared, because I thought they were so interesting, and, and any one of them could probably be an entire segment. But I thought that maybe you and I could talk about a couple of those. How about it, Joey? I like it. I like it. Yeah. And and as fun as it would be to give our own passages,
1: and there were definitely some great ones, I agree. The one of the 10 that jumped out the most to me or the quickest was the be fans of your fans. Make them the heroes of your story. So many companies miss the opportunity to celebrate their customers, right? They claim that their customers are part of their family. They claim that they care about their customers. But this, you know, and we see cutting edge examples of companies that are using like customer generated content and promoting that. But I think what Mark's saying, at least, you know, and I'm reading in between the lines here a little, no pun intended, that. You really need to be a fan of your fans. You need to go the extra step and not just use their content to promote you, but become supporters of them and their brand and how they do things. I'm reminded years ago of a gentleman who had created a series of construction plans for how to build furniture out of FedEx boxes, right? And he had all these plans you could download online of like, go to your FedEx store for free, get a bunch of these boxes and turn them into furniture for your living room or your kitchen or wherever, you know, as a college student who didn't have a lot of money to spend on furniture. And as I recall, FedEx got irritated about this and kind of shut the guy down. I would have made him the star. I would have made him our spokesperson for the next year or two and said, everybody should have a FedEx chair.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's great marketing. Uh (laughs) Right. You know, I may be... uh, I don't know. My attention isn't as long as yours. So I actually got caught by the very first one. I want to go back to that one, which is stop doing what your customers hate. And I love that because, of course, we want to get out there and do what our customers love and find remarkable experiences. But this idea of stopping what customers hate... This is the low-hanging fruit in customer experience management is finding the small parts of your experience that cause pain points, that cause people to stop, that cause frustration, that take too long, that are an extra click or an extra tap, whatever it is. These are things that drive your customers nuts. And they might be little things, but a thousand little things added up is one giant thing. And so figuring out the things that your customers dislike about your business and being honest about that and then fixing it is, I think, one of the biggest keys and the easiest ways to improve your customer experience score. So go out and check out Mark Schaefer's new book, Marketing Rebellion. Of course, we will share a link at the show notes on www.experiencethisshow.com episode 57. And please come see Mark and me at Social Media Marketing World next month in San Diego. Mark will be doing the closing keynote, as I mentioned, and I'll be presenting on how to get customers to talk more positively about your brand on social media. We love telling stories and sharing key insights
1: you can implement or avoid based on our experiences.
0: Can you believe that this just happened? So I recently came upon a tweet from Darren Rovell who is a, a business sports business reporter and it was such an incredible example of customer experience that I had to share it here and honestly I think this example kind of speaks for itself so just to set it up a little girl named Riley Morrison sent a letter to NBA star Stephen Curry And he sent a letter back. And both of these letters are handwritten, and they're included in the tweet. And I'm going to read Riley's letter in its entirety, and then Joey is going to read Stefan's response in its entirety. So here's her letter. Dear Stefan Curry, my name is Riley, just like your daughter, Smiley Face. I'm nine years old from Napa, California. I'm a big fan of yours. I enjoy going to Warriors games with my dad. I asked my dad to buy me the new Curry 5s because I'm starting a new basketball season. My dad and I visited the Under Armour website and were disappointed to see that there were no Curry 5s for sale under the girls section. However, they did have them for sale under the boys section, even to customize. I know you support girl athletes because you have two daughters and you host an all-girls basketball camp. I hope you can work with Under Armour to change this because girls want to rock the Curry 5s too. Sincerely, Riley Morrison. And Riley's handwritten
1: letter was responded to with a handwritten letter that read as follows. Hey, Riley, I appreciate your concern and have spent the last two days talking to Under Armour about how we can fix the issue. Unfortunately, we have labeled smaller sizes as boys on the website. We are correcting this now. I want to make sure you can wear my kicks proudly. So I am going to send you a pair of Curry 5s now, and you'll be one of the first kids to get the Curry 6. Lastly, we have something special in the works for International Women's Day on March 8th, and I want you to celebrate with me. More to come on that, but plan to be in Oakland that night. All the best.
0: Hashtag ruin the game. Stefan. Now, one of the very first comments to the Darren Ruffell tweet, which, by the way, got 47,000 retweets and 221,000 likes, was Vicky Winters on Twitter wrote classy AF. Now, I'm not going <laughs> to what AF means, but I think... All our millennials up, know what that means. I think that sums it up, don't you think, Joey? A- absolutely. I mean, here's what I
1: love. it. Th- this is... Such beautiful display of customer experience and also how to engage with a brand. What I love is Riley's nine years old and she gets it. She states very clearly what the problem was. She explains that she's disappointed. She goes in for the, hey, I know you support girl athletes because you have two daughters, right? Which is a subtle little like, come on, dude, you can help me out with this. Let's get this figured out. And you host an all girls basketball camp and then says, well, I hope we can work it. So she doesn't get irate when she can't get what is a very reasonable request of having the shoes available in girls' sizes and on the girls' section of the Under Armour website. And then Steph Curry responds in kind. It's a handwritten letter, delivers, gets the shoes, gets the better shoes, and steps it up. And what's interesting is, at the time this episode is being released, we're just a few days before International Women's Day. Now, Dan and I, regrettably, have no idea what Steph Curry has planned. But I would highly, highly encourage folks to pay a little attention on March 8th to that game and see what happens. If it goes the way that we kind of think it's going to go, I think there might be a follow up segment on this because this is pretty sweet. And I love the way it was addressed immediately.
0: And you know what? Again, if an athlete, a star athlete can do this, so can you at your company. And it doesn't mean you have to answer every single customer this way. But I think I'm not sure. But I think Riley's probably going to be a Stephen Curry fan for life. We've talked. You've listened. Now it's time to act.
1: There are many things you could do to take what you've learned in this episode and implement it. But at times, that can feel overwhelming. Instead, why not
0: just focus on three takeaways? Takeaway number one Is your company doing anything to contribute to the greater good while also making a profit? The founders of Imperfect Produce identified a major agricultural waste problem and turned it into an elegant solution by providing excess and, quote-unquote, ugly fruits and vegetables that would otherwise have gone to waste. And they do so with levity and humor in their communications. What is your company doing to solve bigger problems than just making this quarter's profit numbers? Takeaway number
1: two. Are you participating in the marketing rebellion? Have you acknowledged yet that the power in marketing has shifted from brands to consumers? Or are you still trying to shout over everyone with more and more marketing? By treating your customers well and providing remarkable experiences, something we talk a lot about on this show, you can create an army of marketers on your behalf. What are you doing to listen better and talk less?
0: Speaking of which, takeaway number three. Are you listening to all of your customers? NBA star Stephen Curry didn't have to answer Little Riley's handwritten letter with one of his own, but how do you feel about him now that he has? Brands have the same power to connect with their customers, and all it takes is a little time and effort. And who knows, you might even discover your next bestseller in the process. And those are the three takeaways for this episode. And remember, we've got a brand new listener bonus in season three. We're calling it the "Take It to the Team Worksheet. The worksheet reviews the three takeaways from this episode and helps you ask these questions internally with your colleagues. We heard from a number of listeners that they were doing this on their own and thought we'd create an easy-to-use, easy-to-download worksheet to make that process more convenient for you. Go to experiencethisshow.com, episode 57, and get your worksheet today. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear
1: about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again
0: for your time, and we'll see you next week for more
2: Experience
3: This.